It's amazing sometimes to um, hear some of the stories. I was sitting there and, and to try to pass the time, you know, I tried to keep Leanne talking and she was telling me story after story of things they've been through with Jake. She was telling me one time just some of the unbelievable stress that they've been through. When they first, when this first happened with Jake, this has been two years ago, they had come from Denver. They were in Denver at the time and they, and they come here for vacation. For an eight-day vacation, they thought they'd come back and visit their families and get away from a little of the stress. And they had six days of basically stress-free living. And then Jake had to go to the hospital and he was in for ten days. And they went way past, the, they had no money. They'd drive around, she told me, we'd just drive around with no place to go sleep. We'd have money in the motel, we'd drive till three in the morning and then go back to the hospital. She said, I started having these real serious anxiety attacks and and she was telling me one time when, when he was in the hospital, uh, this is after she'd gotten used to some of the problems that he'd had. This was after he was born and they could travel. One of the nurses went to plug him in to whatever kind of thing they plug him into and she plugged his feeding tube into his heart, into the fluid that was going to his heart. And she just happened to turn around. She said, it's just been amazing, Mark, to watch how God's done one thing after another for us and I just happened to notice she did that and I immediately said something and we ripped it out of there and had that gone to his heart he would have been immediately dead. It's just amazing to, to hear the one thing after another after another after another. She said, I remember being over at the one particular hospital they don't go there anymore and the doctors, the, 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 one doctor and a nurse argue with another doctor who wants to inject my son with something that another doctor and the nurse are convinced will kill him instantly and the other one's convinced he'll live and it's just this big power struggle and they didn't even care about my son and I just sort of fell into a heap and, and, and climbed over to the, into the floor and just cried for hours the pressure it's, it's just amazing you know to see some of the things that they've gone through and, and all that they went through without the Lord they've only known the Lord just about a year we met them a year ago uh, on Halloween it's been amazing to see what God has done in their life and God is such a, you know He's so faithful to us and I just try to remind them the other day they were asking me we were in the little intensive care unit and, and I was feeling really faint and really just um, just faint, you know, and and they said, Mark, how, you know, we're young Christians, and how, what kept you going when you would go through difficult times, and, and what did you do, and, and how did you make it, and sometimes I just want to scream, and I said, then scream. I said, I don't know how I made it. I said, I don't have a magic formula. To be real frank with you, there just wasn't any other solution but to hope in God. I didn't have any other alternative. I didn't have any money. Couldn't go home to mother. What else could I do? You know, there are times like that in our lives. There's nothing else you could do. There aren't easy answers sometimes. I want to I just share with you tonight, I, I wish we could sort of be in a living room setting with a giant fireplace roaring. And, and I want to sort of have a, a father-daughter, father-son chat with you tonight. Sort of a heart-to-heart chat, really about some things that have been on my heart, some things that I, I've gone through in my life and I see others growing through and struggling through in their Christian life. And I think tonight can be really helpful. It's entitled Authentic Christianity and in part one is tonight in overcoming Christian disillusionment. I see a lot of disillusionment in Christians' lives today. I talk to Christians, uh, to young men and women, middle-aged men and women, old men and women, 
who've known the Lord a short time, a long time, a little bit of time, that are disillusioned. They feel frustrated. They feel like God has let them down. They feel like they didn't get what they were told they were going to get. I find that often in the Christian world today there's a lot of things that are said that quite frankly aren't true and people are well-meaning. They mean it well. But it's not true. Christianity is really sort of a balance between positive biblical attitudes and a realistic view of life and a realistic view of Christian living. I think sometimes we have this very fairy tale view of Christianity. That our knight in shining arm is going to come and sweep us off our feet and for the rest of our life we're going to live happily, wealthily, peacefully, wonderfully ever after. And everything's just going to be great. There's a song, a Christian song that says, Problems don't come around no more. Problems don't come knocking at my door. Problems I don't want you here anymore. As almost as if as Christians, we have this power to wish problems out of our life. And I guess it's some of those disillusionments and some of those things that I see you all and others and, I, and myself that I've wrestled with and, and questioned and wondered that I want to talk about tonight, that I want to share with you tonight. I want to sort of dispel those disillusionments, those misunderstandings and sort of put life into what I believe and what I've come to learn is really a biblical perspective. It will free you. It will really help you in your life. So many things get all twisted up from our misconceptions. The first thing that I want to share with you tonight is this, that God never promised us a rose garden. Remember that song? I never promised you a rose garden. And, and, and we really have, and, and, and it's very prevalent today in Christianity, that God is just waiting to do that miracle for you. That whatever that miracle is that you want, God is going to do it. That everything's just going to be rosy and that Christianity is a bowl of cherries. I want to, I want to be honest with you tonight. I, I've always wanted to be honest with you. God's been, I, I realize that in my life there's this salesman in me. Ever since I was a kid, I've exaggerated. I remember coming home to my mother one time. I was five. Actually, I was four when I started kindergarten. I went to this private Christian school for my kindergarten year in California in the mountains and she used to send me with this, this little lunch pail. You know, I think I had the Lone Ranger lunch pail. Lone Ranger Tars, and they were my heroes. And I had this very vivid and wild imagination, which means I lied a lot. And um, I'd gotten, well, actually, I came home one day without my lunch pail. My mother said, Mark, where's your lunch pail? Well, I said, Mom, you know, today, when we were out riding the horses, a horse stepped on it. And, and that was believable because number one, I was a very convincing liar. And number two, that was part of the school was horseback riding. They had horses up there. Mark, that's terrible. I said, yeah, mom, it's terrible. A horse crunched my lunch pail. <laughs> my mom, very trusting soul that she is, you know, she believed me. A month later, the school nurse called and said, Mrs. Darling, did, did you want Mark's lunch pail back? She said, his lunch pail? Well, it got stepped on by a horse. <laughs> And the, and the teacher started to laugh. And 
The nurse started laughing. She said, no, I'm afraid what happened was Mark got sick and threw up in his lunch pail. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> he must have been too embarrassed to tell you. Yeah, that was true. I didn't want to tell my mom. I threw. I had this candy bar. I very rarely got a candy bar. It was a candy bar day, and I threw up on a candy bar. Can you? But I didn't even get to eat my candy bar. It's terrible. It's terrible. I used to get in trouble a lot to stick my hand in the fishbowl. This kid told on me, and then I got paddled. Or at school I went to, you got paddled for stuff like that. And so I thought, in my as I look back at my Christian life, sometimes it's easy for me. Um, I think for people to be around me and you know everything's just so great and everything's so wonderful and life is so peachy and as I was praying today, I thought Lord I don't ever want to be guilty of lying I don't ever want to be guilty of presenting something false to the people that I'm leading and I don't feel that I have but I just feel like there's so much that we all go through that we misunderstand and sometimes I just realize I just take it for granted because maybe I've gone through it so long that I've just forgotten to identify certain things that people are going through. So I'd like you to open your Bible for a moment to to John. Actually to Matthew. We'll start in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. So if you're, gonna, if you're writing anything down, well, the first point that you want to write down is that God never promised us a rose garden and a Christian life is not a bowl of cherries. God never said that. And I want to show you though what the Lord did, said, did say about what our Christian life would be like. It might shock you, it might not, but I want to talk about it. Matthew 6 and verse 34. says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In my Bible, I've underlined that five-letter word, Trouble, or six-letter word, seven, however many it is, I have an underlined. Trouble. Trouble. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Notice it doesn't say blessing. Notice it doesn't say wonderful, great, glorious circumstances. It says don't worry about tomorrow. Why do we worry about tomorrow? Because we're always afraid of trouble. God says, well, you don't worry about tomorrow because you've got enough trouble today. That's a sight of God. These, these are things that I want to be honest with you. Christians don't talk about very much. Some Christians refuse to even believe them. Some Christians take these verses and they just mark them out of their Bible. As if they're not there. Turn to John. John chapter 16. This is a verse that I reflect on a lot in my own, my own life. I guess I've had to. Maybe the Lord's just driven it home to me through circumstances and then one day I was reading along and it began to make sense but this is Jesus talking and he's, he's giving them one of his last speeches one of his last little pep talks and he's told them that you know I'm going to leave the counselor with you and the comforter is going to be here and, and you can ask whatever you want in my name and, and I'll give it to you and, and all these kind of things and then he says I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, I, I gotta tell you, in the world you will have tribulation. 
in the world, you're going to have trouble. I want to read you some things here that I just wrote down that are sort of statements. You know, I've handed some out to you before, like power principles and winning attitudes. These are um, the ugly truths of life, if you want to call them that. The unexpected will happen. I have found that over and over and over again in my life. The unexpected will happen. Doing God's will may get you into trouble. Corey Tim Booman is an example of that. If you've ever seen the movie The Hiding Place, you can get it at a video store, any video rental store. I'd encourage you to get it. It might give you a whole new perspective on life that would really help you and encourage you. Here was a family, a Dutch family, during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And she was trying to help hide Jews. And she and her family, all of them, were thrown into prison for years and brutalized because they tried to do what God wanted them to do. They loved their neighbors themselves. And what happened? They got in trouble. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3 and verse 17. It says, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you go up just above to verse 14, it says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ is Lord. You see, and if you go down to 1 Peter 4, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourself with the same attitude. What attitude? What attitude, my friend? I call these positive negatives. And this positive negative truth is that, brother and sister, you're going to suffer. You're going to try to do what God wants you to do, and you know what? Life is going to get tough. It's not going to get easy. It's going to be tough. Obedience. This is the third one. Obedience does not equal a trouble-free life. How many times I've heard some televangelist, somebody on TV, somebody say, you just obey God and everything in life will be fine. Just do what God wants and you'll experience marvelous blessing in your life. Well, that's a misunderstanding of Scripture. You may get blessed, but it may be in a massive disguise called trouble. Just because you obey God doesn't mean that all of a sudden in your life, Life is going to be so smooth. You want proof? Read the book of Job. You want proof? Read the book of Acts. Read about Paul's life. It was one miserable set of circumstances after another. And it was a man passionately in love with the Lord. Trying to do what God wanted to do. Trying to obey everything he knew. He got beat up. He got whipped. He got rioted. He didn't have enough money. Sometimes we think our life's rough. Paul spent a majority of his adult Christian life in cold, dank, miserable prisons with not even basic necessities of life. In fact, many times he didn't even have the clothes on his back and you think you're in want. Sometimes we think, oh Lord, I've had such a need here. You promised to meet all my needs. And I remember as a younger Christian, 
when my wife and I were going through difficult financial times, I used to go, Lord, it says, seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So, get with the God, get with the program. And then God would remind me of Paul. And it was like, you see, Mark, what you think you need maybe isn't what you need. I mean, we think we need clothes, right? Paul was naked. We think we need comfort. Paul was discomforted. We we look at the life of David. You know, David's life was filled with turmoil and trouble. And yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. You look at the life of Joseph. Joseph was just trying to be a nice guy. And honor his father, no God. And the next thing you know, his brothers throw him in a pit. They sell him into Egypt. He gets sent to prison because he was framed for rape. And then he spent 13 years of his life in prison. Of course, we want to remember the outcome of their lives too, don't we? We all know the story. Not everybody, or very seldom have I found, anyone who tries to obey God, life gets tough. Not every dream, this is the fourth, fifth one, not every dream in prayer will come true. Not every dream in prayer will come true. I remember uh, growing up when I was younger and, and when I consider very, a very godly home, my father came to know the Lord shortly after I was born. My father was as passionate and zealous as I am in his younger life. And my mother, for, for ever since I was born, has never missed a day to pray for me. Every day. And every day she has devotions in her Bible, in her King James Bible. She's worn out Bibles all growing up. She'd wear them out. The leather would wear off. The edges of the pages would wear off. And of course, kids would draw in our Bible. And later in my mother's life, when she's looking forward to life and to happiness and to life with her husband, my father left her and deserted her 11 years ago. And left her with three children still at home. And left her with a mortgage on the house, two mortgages on the house. Never sent a dime home. The sheriff came one day and told them they had to get out of the house. My mother had raised six children. She, she'd been through the fourth grade. She never worked in a, in a secular job. She worked like a slave at home. My father was gone. Today he's married to another woman. My mother's dream of my father repenting and coming back to God is gone. Brothers and sisters, not every dream and not every prayer you have is going to come true. And if you think that, you're going to be so hurt. You're going to be... That's not what God promised us. Now a lot will. And a lot of things will, but God is... Sometimes the things you think ought to happen won't happen. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, 
I'll tell you something uh, about my mother. During all this time, I have never seen my mother just pitted out and down. For years, she didn't—I mean, she didn't divorce my father just because she she hoped that he would come back and we'd pray for him and we'd talk. And she just went out and got a job and and worked and kept plugging along. And God has provided for her in some really amazing ways. It's been painful. It's been hard. It's been such a blessing for me to watch my mom. She's been such an example of me. Of someone going through something so difficult and something so troublesome and yet she hasn't thrown in the towel with God. It's like Job said to his wife. He he says like men often say, Woman, should I receive good from the Lord and not bad as well? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away but blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came from the womb and naked I'll return. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And I've watched my mom develop that attitude in her life and it's had an impact on me. And here's one man, Paul, who if you think if anyone should get his prayer answer, Paul should. And he says, three times I pleaded, I pleaded, and I begged with God. Three times. You know when Paul says three times, brothers and sisters, he doesn't mean it was a quickie prayer before he went to bed. It's like, oh God, oh God, please take this problem away. And then he, he laid his head down and went to sleep. No, no, I, I believe, I read much more into the Bible than there's lots between the lines. And as you grow, as we grow in the Lord, you learn that. I believe three very long, serious times of fasting and prayer, he begged God for this to leave. And God said, well, I'm not going to take it away, Paul. It's not going to change. My grace is enough for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul said, therefore, because God ain't going to take it away, I'm going to boast more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insult and hardship and persecutions and difficulties. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a statement of maturity, brothers and sisters. That's not a statement of a young child. It takes time to arrive at a conclusion that God, thank you for my weaknesses, my hardships, Lord, my difficulties, my problems, Lord, thank you for them. I'm going to enjoy and take delight in them because, you know, they just mean a richer experience with you. When Jesus said He came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly, He meant in the richness of the quality of your life, not in the quantity of what you possess. He wants to give you a richness in the quality of your life. He does not necessarily mean that all these problems in our life are going to disappear. And then lastly, I wrote down this, there will be pain and heartache. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in His steps. 1 Peter 1.6 It says... 
In this you greatly rejoice. Uh, let's start with verse 3. I want to show you something. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. In His great mercy He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade away. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I, Christian, here we go, we focus in, see. We're shielded by God's power. Put up that shield. People tell you that. You're not believing enough. You're not putting up the shield of faith. You're not binding those demonic influences in your life. You're not giving enough. And we go through life with this heaviness and this, this false sense of shame and guilt and denial. Because you know why? We, we forget to read the rest of this passage. Read it with me. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? In the fact that we have an inheritance that's imperishable and won't fade away and it's in heaven. Though now for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It's the paradox of Christianity. Suffering and rejoicing all at the same time. There's going to be grief. There's going to be pain in your life. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be letdowns, brothers and sisters. Things may not go like you planned. I know some of you who've... who've desperately wanted to get married. And you're not married. You thought you'd never hit your 30s. You hit your 30s. And now it's getting close to 40. And you don't. there just doesn't seem to be any, anything on the horizon. Listen. There are things that we go through in our life that are, are tough. There's no getting around that. They're tough. They're hard. Things don't always go as we expected. That's been a hard lesson for me. I'll share something with you that has in this last two years, and last year really has been a, it's been more difficult than I led on to anyone. When we uh, had Celeste, Jeremy, and Jessica, I was hoping maybe we could have one more child. My wife's health is not really in, in, in that good of shape. But, but I was hoping we'd have one more baby. And it was a long time and Kathy just didn't get pregnant and then she found out she had this thyroid problem and so they took care of that and it was like a, this pregnancy pill all of a sudden. And about a month later, she conceived. And, and, but I had baby fever real bad. I love kids. And I love babies. And I love to squish them. And I love to bite them. And I love to hold them. And I love to cuddle them. And so I was really, I was really, really excited about having one more little baby. So we had this little baby, Micah, our little son. And I remember, you know, holding him when he was born and bringing him home and, and all these things, you know, I was looking forward to do with my little son. Except that my little son won't cooperate. My little son doesn't have the same affinity for me that I have for him. My little son is not like any of my first three children. And my little son, I have to almost con him to even give me a kiss. He just wants mommy. And Doug and Nikki will walk over and John and Suzanne and he'll run up to them and hug their finger and give them a hug and sit on their lap and sit on Doug's lap, but he won't sit on mine. 
And in the past, you know, I might have thought, well, I'm gonna, I'll train him to do it. I guess that's where I've also grown as a parent. It's taught me a lot about God. How many times God has wanted sweet fellowship with us and we don't want it. Never forced us to do it. I thought maybe, you know, Lord, you're teaching me something very deep here in my life. It's very hard. Because I love Him. And I want to squish Him. I like to lay down next to Him. And, and I like to wrestle Him. You don't want to wrestle. Very few things. I mean, I just try to... The only thing maybe is to read an Adam Raccoon book. As soon as that Adam Raccoon book is done, it's, uh, uh, Mom, Mom, and down off my lap and off he goes. I may not seem tough to you, but that to me was a very shattered dream. That to me was something that's been very difficult emotionally to deal with. And so I've, had, I've stepped back from that. And as I got to pray, I stepped back and said, What do I, God, what can I glean from this? What can I learn about you, God? And you know what? It's made me a mellow. It's made me lighten up on people. It's made me lighten up on my children. It's made me have a new perspective of God as to, like I shared a moment ago, how often He's one of fellowship with us and we just don't want anything to do with Him. There's going to be difficulties in your life. Second thing that I want to share with you, you just bear with me, I have a few more things that I'd like to share with you tonight. The second main thing that I want to share with you is this. Spiritual growth and maturity takes time. And underline that word time. Now you may go, oh, that sounds normal. Does it really? You know, I have found, I was visiting with some friends the other day and I hope they don't mind if I share these stories. They may be here. I won't use their names, but if you know who they are, just pretend you don't. I was visiting with a couple, a couple young ladies not too long ago. We were talking about marriage. They said, Mark, I don't know, man. We just don't see anybody like you at Evergreen that like to marry. I said, I took this as a compliment and then I laughed. And I said, I said, listen, I wasn't me 14 years ago when my wife met me. I'm not the same man I was 14 years ago. That's not fair to do to the guys in the church. I've been walking with the Lord 16 years through a ton of trouble. And then I looked at him and said, and, you know, you girls are really sweet and you really love Jesus, but you're not like my wife either. What responsibility do you have? When was the last time you've been up all night? $100 a month rent. That's hard. That's rough. Stress in your life. What is it? Driving home in rush hour traffic? I said, listen, I'm just being honest with you. You're young. You're 23 years old. You don't just grow because you want to grow. You don't just magically go, God, I got desire. God, I'm going to get your word. Make me grow. And all of a sudden, God just jumps fast, grow food in your life. And two years later, you wake up superwoman for God, superman for God. But there's a lot of people who are under that very false notion. I'll tell you partly where we get it. We get it from athletics today. What do we do? We see Barry Sanders come on the scene. And I'll tell you what, if Eric Dickerson and Barry Sanders are on the same team, you know what happened? Eric Dickerson is sitting on the bench. You know why? Because in athletics, all it takes is talent. The veteran just gets kicked 
because someone younger and better comes along. But I want to tell you something. In, in Christianity, it doesn't work that way. In a Christian life, that isn't true. But, but often what happens is you and I walk through life with this false illusion and a false sense of guilt and shame and we become phony because we think, well, I'm supposed to be mature. I can't let anybody know I'm not mature. And so then there's this false pressure in our life to be someone that we're not. But we keep up this facade and we bear this heavy burden in our life. Because we think that's the way it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You know what happens when you came to know the Lord? You became a baby. A baby. A little eensy-weensy, tiny, spiritual, crying baby. And you need milk. You're not even ready for solid food yet. You need milk. And you need to suck in all the milk you can get. Why? So you can grow. Is it logical for my six-year-old daughter to feel envious, jealous, or compete with her ten-year-old sister rather to enjoy the fact that she's six years old? Learn, brothers and sisters, to enjoy where you're at in your Christian life instead of always wishing you were somewhere else or pretending that you are when you're not. You know one of the things that happens in this delusion is that we develop a false sense of pride and then we don't have the proper, as a result, we don't have the proper respect for those who are really older than we are in the Lord and we don't learn what we could have learned. We learn so much more and grow so much faster if we just relax and be honest and learn. But we have this false, this this, this real, this this just this false sense in the Christian world. You know, this has been a hard lesson for me to learn. It's been a hard thing for even me to come to grips with. Except, you know, for those moms, you know, those faithful mothers who keep telling you the same thing year after year after year. And I remember growing. See, I've had, a, I've had a lot of letdowns in my life. I remember when I moved to the church in Ames and I was determined in three or four years I'm going to be a pastor of this church. Nobody's got more desire than I do. There's, it's all there is to it. I'm going to do it. Not only didn't it happen, but I actually went backwards. I actually went backwards. And I remember I'd talk to my mom. She'd go, Mark, God worked with Moses 80 years. I don't want to hear that, Mom. That is so negative. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the new man. Well, Mark, then there's Paul. He spent 14 years. Well, I don't know, Mom. It doesn't say that well, Mark. You, you need to understand the Bible. It's 14 years after he got saved, he sent on the backside of Arabia. Well, then, Mark, there's, of course, there's always Jesus. It was 30 years for Jesus. Mom, you know, I get so tired of this negative stuff. Why do you have to tell me that? Because, son... You have a lot to learn, Mark. You're 24 years old. And you've been walking with the Lord since you were 19, and before that you were a rebel. You've got a lot to learn. God worked with David almost 40 years of his life before he became king. And you and I think that all of a sudden... You know, you know one of the reasons why we think it? I was talking with a friend the other day. It's because we, 
In our society today, very few people in this room have ever started at the bottom. What you did was you went to college and everyone told you by going to college you'd go to the top. So you go to four years of college, you come out making, you know, sometimes, not all of you, but you know, $30,000 a year. And you're driving a car your parents are driving now after working 50 years of their life. Because you know what? In America, everything comes easy. I want to tell you something. It's not true in, in Christianity. It's not true. It's very important that you understand that, that, that and it's totally okay. And there's no shame in needing to grow. There is no shame in needing to grow. God is never displeased with you because you need to grow. He doesn't get discouraged or disheartened with you because you're two years old and you're acting like a two-year-old. That's what a two-year-old is supposed to act like. God was a father way before any of us were. God understands as a daddy what growth is all about, see? And I look back now in my life and realize, wow, God is so incredible. The things He's done with me and, and the things He's had to work through with me, if it had been a different dad, why, they would have given up on me a long time ago. And maybe you felt the same way. But see, God's a perfect Father. He knows exactly how to work with you, exactly what you can take, and exactly what you can't take. And He works with you right where you are in your Christian experience. I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. It's encouraging for me because, you know, then I don't have to compare myself to other people. And I don't have to, I don't have to look in the mirror. What, what it does, though, is it frees me up to learn. I was with some friends the other day, some very close friends that I, I, I work closely with, and we were talking about this subject. And, and one of the, uh, the particular individuals said this to me, Mark, I... I've been kind of wondering is that there's just something in our relationship I just don't feel as close as we did in the past. And I just wondered if, if you could help me, if you, maybe you knew why. And I said, well, I maybe have some ideas. I said, well, I'd really like to know what you think. And I said, well, I'll, give, I'll just throw out an idea. I don't know if this is right, and, but I'll just throw it out for you to think about. I said, uh, you know, a few years ago when we first met... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, give you an analogy to a father and a daughter. When a daughter grows up with her father, and, and in those early years, he's just a hero. You know, he, just, he can do no wrong. And then she hits those, those, those teen years and 20s, you know, and she begins to realize dad's pretty human. And then she gets to be 20, or he gets to be 20, either one, and they know everything. You ever notice that about teenagers? And oh, I remember that. You know everything. So your respect started up here on the graph and then as you got older it kind of went here because, well, you know, everybody's human. And then one day, you start to think, I know as much as they do. Well, if they were gone, I could do their job. And I said, you know, I'm just, I'm just giving you an idea. I, I don't know if this is it, but I said, one of the things I've wondered is if, you see, we've gotten so close, we're so buddy-buddy, and I want that, that I think you forget that I'm your pastor and not just your friend. I don't think you realize that I have worked very hard to make you feel that we could be friends by condescending to where you were in your Christian life. And then the other one who was there said, you know, it's real interesting you'd say that because I was out yesterday praying and it dawned on me for the first time in our relationship, I was praying, it dawned on me, God, I'm not Mark's peer. 
Mark is so much older than I am in the Lord. And he said it totally changed my view of you and what I thought I could learn from you. But, but when someone, and, I, and I've tried to express to them, you cannot compare yourself to me. And I can compare myself to Billy Graham or I'm going to get really discouraged. God's worked with Billy for years and He's worked with me. And I just try to learn what I can. It'll free you up to learn things from other people. It'll, it'll just free you up. You'll be more relaxed. You'll be more calm. Who needs to be phony? Just be you. Just be who you are. And then another thing that we forget is that some of us were raised in pretty awful homes. And maybe you've only known the Lord two years and you think that your life just going to change overnight? Which brings me to the third thing that I want to share with you tonight is this. Good Christians have lots of personal problems and struggles. Good Christians have lots of personal problems and struggles. Trying to live the Christian life will always be a struggle and oftentimes a very intense one. Just because we become a Christian doesn't mean all of our problems disappear. You are going to fall till the day you die, no matter how mature you get. I was interacting with a couple Christians, roommate situation, they were having a rough time, really rough time. And I was talking with them. And as we were talking, I, was, I knew what the devil would try to do. You know, he's the enemy, and he's the one who tries to tell us all these lies. And I said to them, I said, I want you to know something. This doesn't bother me. I don't mind being here helping you. My goodness, you guys are just babies in the Lord trying to live together and grow and do what's right. You're going to say mean things and cruel things and do bad things. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord 16 years, married 12, and still blow up at my wife. This doesn't surprise me. I'm not going to walk away from here thinking, oh my goodness, do they have problems. I don't think we'll use them in any ministries at Evergreen. I said, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to forget about this. I don't walk away evaluating your life thinking about what in the world is wrong with that individual. Why? Because we struggle and struggle and struggle. What seems to come easy for one person may be extremely difficult for another. You know, we could do a whole teaching on this, but I personally believe, Brent and I have even talked about this, that depending on your personality and temperament, there are certain things that are much easy to model in, easier to model in the Christian life than others. For some of you, you have a real hard time appearing zealous and enthusiastic. It doesn't come real hard to me. For some of you, kindness and compassion may be real difficult. doesn't seem difficult to me. Now, patience? No, that's another thing. Self-control? That's been another thing. And for others of you, my goodness, you're so in control, disciplined, patient. I mean, someone could hit your cheek 20 times and just be, praise God, no problem. We just all have different struggles, but we have them. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 7. I, want to, I, I, just, I have to show you these things, so bear with me. And, and I think there will be a payoff in your life. Romans 7, starting with verse 18. 
This is written by probably what I consider to be the most spiritual man that ever lived. It was written by Paul. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, it's the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer me, it doesn't, but it's sin living in me. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war, you underline that in your mind, waging war against the law of my mind and making a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. You ever felt that way? I felt that way, still feel that way. That's still, what a miserable wretch I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself and my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to to the law of sin. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Keep your finger there and turn to Galatians 5. I want to show you, this is also in Galatians 5, and Paul wrote both books. Because some people believe that Paul's writing there is a non-Christian. I do not believe that. I believe it's very clear that Paul is writing this as a Christian. And I believe this passage confirms this. In Galatians 5, in verse 16, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Right there it is. You've got the Spirit. He's telling you to do what the Spirit says. But basically, here's the problem. There's this massive war going on inside of you. It's massive. It's incredible. It's intense. And some days, it seems like it's going to kill you. And as a result, you know what happens? You don't do the things you ought to do. And you do the very things you wished you wouldn't do. But time and time again, I'll have people say to me, Mark, I thought I'd grow out of this. You you do not. Remember this. You do not ever grow out of struggle. There may be greater depth and character that develops in your life, but you'll always struggle. And at any time, the old flesh just grabs you around the throat and shakes you like a dog shaking a little doll. Turn to Romans. This last passage here in Romans chapter 8. In verse 18. These passages, I hope this encourages you. These passages really encourage me a lot. I think about them a lot. Otherwise, I'll be real honest with you. I wouldn't keep my sanity. Because if you're like me, and most of us are, we're ultra-perfectionists, not to mention the fact we have the devil always pointing an accusing finger at us, we'd be under the pile all the time. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Write that. I consider that our present sufferings. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. That's God. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth 
Now, if you've never been around someone in childbirth, that is intense struggle, and it is also intense pain. And that's what Paul's saying. This whole creation we live in is groaning as if it was in the intense struggle of childbirth. And then look what he says. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons. What does he mean? The redemption of our bodies. What does he mean? He means the day we're off this miserable planet and we're with the Lord. We're out of this miserable body and we're with the Lord. That will be an extraordinary day. That will be the day when all of your dreams and all of your desires and all of your struggle will be over and your dreams will come true and the pain will be gone. But we have this struggle. And then he says, for in this hope we are saved. See, that's the wonderful hope that we have. The hope that one day there will be an end. The hope that we're going to see Christ and for all eternity we're going to have a relaxing, wonderful, incredible, unbelievably awesome eternity. In the meantime, brothers and sisters, it's trouble as usual. In the meantime, there's difficulty. You know why I'm saying this to you? I'll tell you why. My wife and I have this conversation on a fairly frequent basis. I have to bring my wife and myself back to this. Why? Because of comments like this. Why does this keep coming up in our marriage? Why are we still struggling with this 12 years after our marriage, almost sometimes to the same intensity we did when we first got married? And I smile. And in my pastorly sort of way, I say, Sister, let me tell you why. It works every time. (laughs) Let me give you sermon number 1,285 billion. Don't even worry about it, Kathy. I don't care that we still struggle with this. We might struggle with it until we die. We're not going to be perfect parents. I'm not going to be the perfect dad. You're not going to be the perfect mom. We're going to argue. We're going to get upset. These things are bound to happen because you and I are in a war and we are in this crummy body. And all God asks is that we try. And that's all I'm doing. I'm trying. You're trying. I know you're trying. You're trying. Don't walk around with this sense of shame and frustration because you wonder, why isn't this going out of my life? I remember certain things struggling in my life for years, years in agony. I mean agony. And just to be real personal with you, real personal. I remember times in my life wishing as a younger Christian that someone would castrate me because I was so sick and tired of the struggle of the flesh. I was listening to a man named George Vuer. Some of you know George Vuer. I heard him about six months ago at a college campus. He runs Operation Mobilization. He was sharing with these young men and women. I have never heard a Christian leader share what he shared with these young men and women. He said, I want to tell you something out there. I know that many of you at this Christian college are being immoral. He 
said, and I know it's a struggle, and I know it's hard, and so many of you have been told that when you become a Christian, everything's going to get easy. He said, listen, five months ago, I was in a prayer meeting in the middle of Sweden, and I was praying and crying out to God, and some gorgeous Swedish woman walked in, and all I could think about was going to bed with her. And I've been walking with Christ 25 years in my life. Don't be disillusioned. Don't let the devil grab you by the throat and shake you around and make you think that, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How come your eating disorder isn't gone? How come your anger isn't gone? He's a liar. And he's always been a liar. God knows your frame and he knows the way he's made you. He also knows what sin has done to us. And he understands. I'm not telling you there's an excuse for sin. I'm just telling you to worry about it and get on with growing. Get on with your life. Get rid of these disillusioned feelings and thoughts in your mind and understand this. Paul was a man who struggled like you. David was probably the greatest man of God that ever lived. The greatest man of God that ever lived. He wrote the Psalms. He gave birth to Solomon. Solomon wrote Proverbs. And in his older life, he committed adultery and murdered the husband of the woman he slept with. His sons turned out pathetic. His family was pathetic. Am I making an excuse for it? No, I'm not. I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, that there is a lot of disillusionment going on out there today. In Christianity. Life is a struggle. Life is tough. And it will give you a little more empathy. A lot more empathy. For the brother and sister sitting next to you. We'd have a lot easier time opening up with one another. If we get rid of all these disillusionments. We could be real free. It's been so encouraging for me. I was on the phone. That Monday night. After all your Renew groups. Renew is my passion. And I talked to Doug for 30 minutes. Then I talked to Greg for 30, I don't know how long. And then I talked to, to uh, Michelle. And the others had a new group for hours to one in the morning just talking about the openness that's going on there and people sharing, I'm having problems with this and this and they're just so excited. One young man said, this is the highlight of my week. I can't wait to get her to be honest about what's going on in my life. I hope, brothers and sisters, that you can break out of your disillusionment and live that kind of life with one another. That's what you're going to get from Brent and I. We're not going to try to pull any wool over your eyes. We're not up here on some pedestal. We've just been walking with the Lord for a long time, struggling with the Lord for a long time, and we still fall flat on our face. But I hope that you'll take these things and that you won't forget them. Because I didn't say them tonight, you know, to discourage you. I hope and trust that they'll put a sort of a fire in your heart and your soul and you begin to realize that yeah there's lots of joys I gave you all kinds of tapes you want to hear good stuff you know winning attitudes you can hear you matter to God you can hear God makes dreams come true I share all that stuff now it's time to understand that this trouble spiritual growth takes time it doesn't happen just like that even if you want to be a great impact player for God it's going to take time and trials and trouble let's pray Lord we just thank you so much